My name is Zach. Contrary to popular belief, my name is not Joe Fry. Um, people keep asking me that today for some reason. I can't figure out why. But uh, So I want to give you guys a pop quiz today. We're going to start out lots of fun. Pop quiz, that was everybody's favorite day in school, right? You show up, the teacher says, surprise, pop quiz. I mean, you can handle a regular quiz because you knew those were coming. You could prepare for those. You could study them, study for them. But the pop quiz is kind of like a landmine. You don't see it coming. By the time it's here, it's too late. You, you can't do anything about it. Um, unless, of course, you were responsible and you studied ahead of time and prepared, then yeah, you could, <laughs> you could do something about it. But that was, sometimes that was me, sometimes that wasn't. So we're going to do a pop quiz today. It's a one-question pop quiz. So it's really easy. One question. You don't even have to tell me the answer. Just think of it. Just think of it in your head and that easy. Don't you wish they were all that easy, right? All right, so this is it. The Bible is A, a book of stories, B, a historical book, C, the true and inspired Word of God. So while you guys think about this, I'm going to tell you one of my biggest pet peeves in school was when a teacher couldn't write a test question well. And it was written in such a way that when I would read it, I would think, wait, are they, are they looking for this or are they looking for this? And I could never, could never tell. That used to bug me so much. And I think I was probably alone because I would, I would go to my friends and say, hey, what would you guys put for question seven? You know, I, I thought they were asking this, but then I wasn't sure because of this. And usually my friends were just like, what are you talking about? You know, just, you just put the answer. There, it wasn't that hard. Um, so I'm kind of taking my frustration out on you guys here. I'm purposely misleading in my question, okay? So let's use, let's use our multiple choice logic. I know, I know you guys have that when you, take, when you take your tests and quizzes. So multiple choice logic tells us that C is probably the right answer, okay? It's the longest one, right? That says something. It's got, um, it's got more words in it. It's more descriptive, okay? That's one reason why it's longer. It also brings God into it, okay? So to answer A or B, it's kind of like you're saying, well, if I say A or B, then I guess I'm saying the Bible isn't the Word of God. So A and B seem true, but C seems more true. It's kind of, what do, I, what do I do, right? Do you guys feel what I'm feeling when I'm talking about badly written test questions? All right, so I'm kind of tricking you guys here. There's another answer. The answer is D, all of the above, okay? So, <laughs> all right, somebody got it right. Awesome. Um, if, you, if you didn't pick D, don't worry. You were at least partially, you were at least partially right. Um, so, yeah, the Bible is the true and inspired Word of God. We, most of us know that. We believe that. It's also a historical book, okay? The events in the Bible, they actually happened, and the Bible it lines up with other records of history, other non-biblical accounts of history. The Bible lines up with those things. And it's also a book of stories, a book of true stories that we like to read, we like to tell our kids about, stories that are fun and inspiring, like Noah and the Flood or David and Goliath. We love to read those kind of stories to our kids. But the Bible is also full of stories that are just plain weird, all right? Stories that, when you read them, it's, they're violent, 
There are gruesome details, um, stories filled with debauchery, um, stories that when you read them, you think, why in the world is this story in the Bible? Why did God choose to make this part of his word? It makes no sense to me. Um, but that's what I like about the Bible. The Bible, it doesn't hold back. You know, warts, warts and all. It tells everything. Take David, for example. When David was a kid, he would kill lions and bears with his sling. When he was a teenager, that's when he faced Goliath and killed this giant guy and cut his head off. And he went on to be the greatest king of Israel. God handpicked him. God even called him a man after his own heart. That's saying something, if God calls you a man after his own heart. But then, oh yeah, he also committed adultery with a woman, got her pregnant, tricked her husband into coming home and sleeping with her to cover it up, but the husband wouldn't do it, so he had the guy murdered. Okay, so the Bible, the Bible doesn't hold back. Even on its greatest heroes, it still tells the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we're going to read one of those types of stories today, one of those weird stories that you just think, why, why is this in here? Um, it's in Acts 12, where we left off last week. If you don't have a Bible, you want to follow along, you can raise your hand, we'll get you one. Um, those are our gift to you. You can keep them, take them home with you. Uh, we're going to be reading Acts 12, verses 20 through 24. Now Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant, and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It's the voice of a god, not of a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. That's see what I'm talking about? That's pretty weird. Uh, meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the good, the bad, and the ugly, Lord, that you didn't hold back when you were giving us the truth uh, about the gospel and about the history of your people, Lord. God, we pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word and that we, we can go home and know uh, your plans for our life and we can apply, apply what we have learned, what we have heard from you to our lives, Lord. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this is a weird story, right? This guy, Herod, he gives a speech. The people call him a god. They think it's so great. This guy must be a god, not a man. Herod, he accepts that praise. He does it in return, say, oh, no, no, not me. Don't praise me. This, this, god should get the glory. Instead of saying that, he accepts the praise. God smites him, essentially, and he was eaten by worms. And this isn't, it's not talking about the natural decomposition that our bodies undergo when we're buried. It's not saying they buried him and then over time the insects and the worms came and ate his body. That's not what it meant. I mean, he was struck instantly with a disease and within days his body was consumed by worms. And I did some research into what kind of disease this might have been and I was going to get some pictures of some worms to show you guys, but I decided that 
I don't, I don't even think my stomach <laughs> could handle that. So I, I spared you guys the, the gruesomeness of what kind of worms. But I think the, I think the lesson's pretty obvious, right? Give God glory or you'll be eaten by worms. I mean, I think that's it's pretty straightforward. But I, I want to I still look at Herod and his life and break it down and see what brought him to this point. Why did he die like this? What kind of life did he live to die in such a way? So first, we've got to figure out who, who is Herod? Who is this guy? I've heard his name before as a kid, but I didn't realize until I started studying this passage that there are five Herods mentioned in the Bible. And there's probably more in history that we don't know, but there are five different Herods in the Bible. The first Herod was Herod the Great. He was king when Jesus was born. This is the guy that the wise men went to and told him, hey, the Savior's born, we're going to see him in Bethlehem. And Herod the Great knew of the prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament, and he feared Jesus was going to come and take over his throne. So what he decided to do was have all of the male children, ages two and under, killed in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. To save his throne, he killed all the two-year-old boys and under. Um, so that's who Herod the Great was. He had three sons that his kingdom was divided up into. One was Herod Archelaus. Um, there's not much about him in the Bible, just one sentence. We don't know much about him. Another one was Herod Antipas, and another was Philip. It's kind of funny. It's not Herod. Um, Herod Antipas, he was king when Jesus was an adult. And he's known for divorcing his wife because he liked his brother's wife better. Who, ironically, her name is Herodias, which is sort of the female version of Herod. Um, And Herod had John the Baptist thrown in prison because John the Baptist opposed him publicly and said, that's wrong. You shouldn't do, you can't do that. You can't divorce your wife and take your brother's wife. Um, so he didn't like John the Baptist, Baptist, threw him in prison. Then Herodias uses her daughter to seduce Herod and convince him to have John the Baptist beheaded and have his head delivered to her on a platter. Um, so that was Herod Antipas. He had a son, Herod Agrippa. All right, you guys still with me? It's a lot of Herods. Okay, this is number four. Herod Agrippa, that's who we're reading about here in Acts. And Herod Agrippa had a son, Herod Agrippa II. Paul actually appears before Herod Agrippa II later in Acts. So we'll probably see that a few months down the road as we continue through Acts. But today we're talking about Herod number four, Herod Agrippa. He's known for killing James, one of Jesus' 12 disciples. He then imprisoned Peter and tried to kill him, but we heard last week that Peter escaped from God sent an angel. Um, he then executed all 16 guards. They were guarding Peter, executed those dudes. Um, and then he gave a speech and was eaten by worms. <laughs> so that's what he's known for. Not a great legacy. Um, Herod is not a name that you would name your kid. Okay, that'd be like naming your kid Hitler or Charles Manson Smith or whatever your name is. Um, Herod doesn't have a great legacy, very, very violent history with the name Herod. Now I want to go back, back a little earlier in Acts 12 and see what else we can learn about Herod. So if we look at the first 
verse, Acts 12, 1, this is before Peter was put in prison. Last week we heard how he was put in prison and escaped. This happened before. And Acts 12, 1 tells us that Herod laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. And we don't know why he did that. It could be that he hated Christians. It could be that he wanted to sort of squelch their efforts. They were growing rapidly and he wanted to do something about it. Um, we, we don't really know. In the next verse, we see that violence start to play out. 12.2 is where he has James killed. Okay. And then in 12.3, again, we see uh, some more violence. It says, And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, that's talking about the death of James. When he saw that killing James pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And we learn later that he wanted to kill Peter. He wasn't just arresting him. He did want to execute him. Um, so this verse here, 12.3, it's very telling of who Herod is, what kind of guy he is. We don't know why he was violent towards the church. We don't know why he killed James. But we know why he imprisoned Peter and wanted to kill him. It's because he wanted the praise and honor from the Jews. Okay? He he saw that it pleased the Jews to do that to James, and that felt good to him to get that to get that praise, to get that acceptance. So he said, Hey, let's get another one of those guys and kill him too. You know, the people are gonna like me because I kill these guys, let's get another one. So that's why he imprisoned Peter. Herod's main concern was Herod. All he cared about was his glory and making his name great. So that determined his actions. That determined why he decided to imprison Peter. And I'm going to get into a little bit later about the fact that seeking praise and honor for yourself is not necessarily a bad thing. And that I know that sounds heretical. So before you guys go burn me at the stake, just hear me out. I'm going to, I'm going to explain that a little better. The seeking praise for yourself is not necessarily a bad thing. Later, in the next verse, Acts 12, 4, we, we see that Peter's execution was delayed. All right, it was Passover when Peter was in prison, so Herod decided to wait until after Passover. People, the smart folks, not me, but the smart scholars and people who really could probably have the, the Bible memorized, they, they speculate about why Herod decided to wait until after Passover. One reason they think is that Passover was a very busy time. People were celebrating, and he wanted to wait until all that was over so he could have more attention on Peter's execution. You know, he wanted to wait until everyone was done celebrating, and now they're like, oh, well, now what do we do? There's nothing to celebrate. And Herod could say, hey, I've got this guy. Let's kill him. You guys like killing the last one. Let's kill another one. So he, that, that's one that's one uh, idea. Another one is that he feared the Jews might request Peter's release. They had a custom that every year at Passover, they would release a prisoner. And if you're familiar with Jesus' trial and execution, you'll remember that Pontius Pilate offered to release Jesus uh, because of this custom. But the Jews said, no, don't release Jesus. Give us that other guy. Give us Barabbas but crucify Jesus. 
So it could be that Herod feared that they would want to have him release. We don't really know why Herod hesitated, why he delayed. But one thing I think we can say for sure is that he was waiting because it was going to be more beneficial to his ego to save Peter's execution a few more days. Um, And of course we learned that he never got around to it. Peter escaped before that could ever happen. So let's go back to the passage we just read, um, Acts 12, 20 through 24, and, and read some more about Herod. We saw that the people of Tyre and Sidon are approaching Herod. They're seeking um, an audience with Herod. All right, Tyre and Sidon, they received food from Herod's country, and Herod was angry with them for some reason. We don't know why. It just says that he was angry with them. And you don't want to get on Herod's bad side. I mean, first of all, he's a Herod, right? So who knows what this guy is capable of. Secondly, he's providing them with food. So if they get on his bad side and Herod just says, okay, I'm done, I'm not giving you food anymore, they're up a creek, all right? So they are seeking to meet with Herod, most likely because they want to smooth things over with him. They want to get back on his good side. They don't want to be on Herod's bad side especially when they're dependent on him for food. Now think about this. Put yourself in Herod's shoes and imagine you're a king, all right, and you, su- you supply food to these cities that, that need help. And then they come to you. You know, maybe you're, ang- you're angry with them. Maybe you're thinking about cutting off their food supply for some reason. And they come to you and they want to plead and beg for you to continue providing food for them. They don't want you to cut off the supply. So how would you respond? Okay, I think, I think there's three possible answers. First, you could say, yes, okay, I'll, I'll keep sending you food. You might even say, yes, but with conditions. You know, yes, but you have to pay some taxes. Um, you could say no. You could say, forget you guys, I've had it. I'm not sending you any more food. Uh, If you're like me and you're indecisive, you might say, well, let me think about it. Maybe. I don't know. Okay. So would you guys agree yes, no, or maybe are probably the three, and that's it, the three appropriate responses? Well, let's see. Let's see what Herod, how he responded. It's in verse 12, 21. Chapter 12, verse 21. And an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. He made a speech to them. All right. That's, that's a little weird in my book. Okay. He made a speech. A speech that he probably spent time preparing. You know, he saw these guys were scheduled a meeting. So he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a speech to these guys. All right. Wasn't it the people of Tyre and Sidon that wanted to speak to Herod? They're the ones who scheduled the meeting. They're the ones who wanted to talk. But instead... Herod takes over, and he gives a speech. I think that's a little ridiculous. Not only does he do that, he wants to look as kingly as possible. All right, he puts on the big robe, the royal robe. You know, I picture like I do from the cartoons I watched as a kid. You know, the purple or red with the white fuzzy stuff around the sides. He puts on his robe, he sits on his throne, and he delivers a speech. So these, these folks... Scheduled a meeting with Herod, and Herod 
Right off the bat, he makes it all about himself. He, he, he dresses up, he gets on the throne, and he makes a speech to them. We don't even know, we don't even know if he let them plead their case. We don't even know if he let them say, hey, don't be mad at us, please still keep giving us food. We don't even know if he allowed them to speak. So right off the bat, he made it all about himself. And of course, we read how the people responded in 1222. They gave him a great ovation, shouting, it's the voice of a god, not of a man. So the people of Tyre and Sidon saw this as an opportunity to brown nose, I think. You know, he gave the speech and they said, well, he's not letting us say anything. Let's, let's tell him how great he is and hopefully he'll still, he won't be mad at us anymore. Let's call him a god. He's like a god, not like a man. And then we know what happened. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with, wor- with worms and died. So Herod was being called a god, and he loved it. He reveled in it. That's the kind of praise and honor that he lived for. I mean, we saw that in all the other verses. That's the kind of guy he was. And his, a side note about his particular sin in this case, it's called, it would be a sin of omission, all right? a sin of inaction. Herod's sin wasn't that he did something wrong. It's that he didn't do anything. By not doing anything, he defaulted to accepting the people's praise for himself instead of giving glory and honor to God. And we see this type of sin in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. All right, the serpent tempted Adam, I mean the serpent tempted Eve, and she ate the fruit. So her sin was commission. She committed a sin. But Adam's sin was omission. Genesis tells us Adam was right there. He was with her, and he did nothing. Adam didn't do anything. He watched his wife eat the fruit. He watched his wife break the one command that God had given them. So Eve's sin was an action. Adam's sin was inaction. He stood there like an idiot while his wife broke, broke the one command. And it's the same with us today. It's the same today. Women are tempted more often with sins of commission, sins of action. Men are more tempted with sins of inaction, omission. Us men, it's, it's easy for us to sit around on our duff and do nothing while our friends, our family, our wives, our kids, while their lives crumble all around us. We just sit around and we do nothing, just like Adam did, um, just like Herod did. I think in the end, Herod's death was very appropriate. I mean, first of all, he's a Herod, you know. He, cut, he had it coming, all right? God humbled him good. That's what I would say. He humbled him good. He, he took away his prized prisoner, Peter. You know, he, he arrested Peter. He planned to wait till after Passover to execute him, you know, make it a big deal. But God took Peter away, so he couldn't do that. And then he killed Herod, obviously. And he was eaten by worms. Worms. I mean, that's the most gentle creature I can, I can think of, except for maybe puppies or baby bunnies, you know? So he, he was humbled. And then finally, we saw in 1224, it said, Meanwhile, the word of God continued to spread, and there were many new believers. So Herod did nothing to stop the advancement of God's kingdom. Okay, there were many new believers. Herod, Herod wasn't getting in the way. 
So even what he did do, it, it was nothing. It was just a blip, a blip in history. So I said earlier, it's okay to seek praise and glory for yourself. Now, if that's true, what was wrong with what Herod did? Because he certainly, he was certainly seeking praise and glory for himself. But what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches us that to, we should seek praise and honor for ourselves, but we shouldn't seek it from people. We shouldn't seek it from man. We should seek it from God. And turn with me to John 12, and I'm going to read exactly what that means. It's kind of a, it's a concept that we don't really hear a lot about, that we should seek praise and that we should seek it from God. But I want to, I want to get into that a little more. I'm going to read John 12, verse 42. This is John speaking. He's kind of giving us an update about what's, what's going on. Since Jesus has been around, Jesus has been preaching, the gospel's going out. It says, Many people did believe in him, however, including some of the Jewish leaders. But they wouldn't admit it for fear that the Pharisees would expel them from the synagogue. So a little background here. Jewish leaders, it's a big deal that the Jewish leaders were believing in the gospel. All right, That's something that didn't really... Happened. They were pretty set in their religious ways. They had high positions at the synagogues. They taught there. They had people under them. They were respected by men. They were highly regarded by men. And when they believe the gospel, it's a big deal. But it says that they wouldn't admit their belief for fear of getting kicked out of the synagogue. They were afraid of getting kicked out of their club. I tried to come up with an example of what that would be like today, the best I could come up with was um, think about a Vermonter, right? Some of you guys are hardcore, true Vermonters. You, you're, your Vermontness goes back generations, okay? Five, seven, ten generations, you're a Vermonter. Some of us are just visitors or whatever you call the rest of us. I have no idea. Um, but imagine... You're a, imagine you're a Vermonter, a true Vermonter, and you did something, and the governor says, you, you can no longer call yourself a Vermonter. You're out of here. Move out of our state. You can never come back. Your family can never come back, and you can never claim the title Vermonter again. That would, that would bring people to tears, I think. All right? Some, some people really hold on to that, that title, that identity, and, and to lose that is to lose who they are. That's how it was with the Jewish leaders. They, they had a lot of identity in who they were in the synagogue. And to get kicked out of there to them was, was a big deal. They were losing who they were. And we learn in the next verse why that is. In John twelve forty three, it says, For they love human praise more than the praise of God. They were afraid of of talking about their belief because they were afraid of losing the praise, the regard, the honor that they were getting from their fellow Jews. They were afraid of losing that. And they loved that more than they loved getting praise and honor from God. They were just like Herod. They were so blinded by the honor that they kept getting from people that they didn't know that there was a much greater, a much bigger honor out there that comes from their Heavenly Father. 
Uh, let's read further about this earlier in John chapter 5. Um, this is actually Jesus talking. He's talking to some Jews that were persecuting him. He says, No wonder you can't believe, for you gladly honor each other, but you don't care about the honor that comes from the one who alone is God. And what Jesus says here is very insightful. That's usually how it goes. That's how Jesus is. He's a pretty smart guy. Um, but he, he tells these Jews, you guys don't believe because you're too busy honoring each other. You don't believe because you're too busy looking for honor for yourselves from each other, and you're missing out on the honor and praise that come from God. And this is, notice he says, the honor and praise that come from God. This is not honor and praise that we give to God. A lot of us know that we should honor God and we should praise God. But this is, Jesus is talking about honor and praise that come from God. God honors us and praises us. And that's the type of honor and praise that we should be seeking for ourselves. Not the type that comes from, from men. And when I say that, seek honor and praise for yourself, it sounds a little funny, but if I say seek honor and praise from your father, it begins to make a little more sense. And I know a lot of us didn't have fathers, or we had terrible fathers, useless fathers, fathers full of sins of omission. Um, but if you can imagine with me what a perfect father would look like and how a perfect father wants to praise and honor his kids. When I was a kid, I depended on praise and honor from my dad. I needed to hear, you did a great job at your basketball game, son. I needed to hear, you're working so hard at school. Good job. I needed to hear, I'm proud of you for making that hard decision. Well done. I, I needed that. I survived on that praise from my dad. Not only did I need it, I sought it out. I went to look for that praise. I made decisions and I did actions because I knew that certain things would garner praise for my father. That, that determined how I lived my life because I knew I could be rewarded by praise from my father. And God is the same way. He's our heavenly father. He wants to praise us and he wants to, us to seek praise from him just like a child would seek it from his own father. Now, my, my sons, I have three sons. They come to me all the time. Well, two of them come to me. One is, he crawls to me. Um, but they love to draw. They love drawing pictures. And they'll bring me a picture. Daddy, look at this car. Look at the car I drew. You know, I'll look at it and I have to kind of squint. And be like, yeah, that's a good car. I see it. You know, I see the wheels or whatever. But I love telling them, that's a great car, buddy. You did so good. You know, can I, can I have that? Can I hang it on the wall? And they're, they're already excited when they come to me because they're so proud they drew this picture. But when I tell them, man, that's a great picture. You did awesome. You're a great drawer. Their face, I mean, it just, it just lights up. I love seeing that. I love to tell them that they're doing a good job. And it's the same way with God. He's our Heavenly Father. He loves us like that, except He loves us perfectly. He loves us how a perfect father would love us. And he wants to praise us and honor us and encourage us just like a perfect father would. And when, when he does that, when we, when we get that praise, it, it motivates us 
to want to give our best. It motivates us to want to work hard and to do it with joy. It motivates us to want to give our best joyfully for Him and for His glory. Uh, it, it, it does a lot. It's, it's a multi, multifaceted, multi-purposeful praise. And Jesus said that it's a necessary thing for belief. For us to believe the gospel, we have to seek this praise. He told the Jews, you don't believe because you're seeking this praise in the wrong place. You're seeking praise from men instead of from God. And that's why they didn't believe. So not only does the praise motivate us, it also is a, it's a requirement. It's an essential ingredient to believe the gospel. So, so I covered the what. What should we do? We should seek praise and honor from God not from men. Why should we do it? It motivates us, okay? It, it causes us to want to, to try hard, just like I wanted to hear my dad say, good job, buddy. I wanted to hear that, and it would cause me to act in a certain way. It's the same way with God. And it's a necessary ingredient for belief, to believe the gospel. But what does that look like? How, how do we do that? How do we, how do we seek praise from our Heavenly Father. For some of us, it's a little difficult because it's not a real human Father that we can look at and talk to. As some of us, it's hard to grasp the idea that God is our Father. So how do we do that? Well, first, we have to understand who we are. We have to get our identity in who God says we are, not in who the world says we are. We have to know that we are who God says we are. And the world says... The world says we're a lot of things, and some of those things, they're positive. They could be good. The world might say, you're a hard worker. Okay, the world might say, you're beautiful. It might say, you're a good student, a straight-A student, or you're a good soldier. Thanks for fighting for our country. The world says some good things, but the world also says some terrible things. The world tells us, you're not good enough. You're ugly. You're fat. You'll never amount to anything. You'll always be a screw-up. That's what the world tells us. But that's not who we are. That's what the world says we are, but that's not who we are. We are who God says we are, and that's all, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what the world says. It matters what God says, who God says we are. And he says we're his children. He says we're his heirs. We are children of the king, the king and the creator of the universe we're his children. We were created in his image. We, we bear his image. We reflect his glory. We are image bearers of the king of the universe. That's who we are. We're not screw-ups like the world says. We are image bearers of the almighty God. We're his sons and heirs to his throne. That's who God says we are. Even Paul in Corinthians, Paul reminded the Corinthians that God chooses the people that the world considers foolish, the people that the world considers powerless and despised, the people that the world considers nothing. I like to sum all that up and say rejects. God uses the rejects, and he does that because it brings him glory. He uses what the world considers rejects because it brings him glory. I think about when Ben's family my family moved up here, we were considered rejects, and I think we still are. A lot, to a lot of degree. Um, you know, people were saying, who are these two young southern blonde-headed boys coming up here to start a church? 
That'll never work. They'll be gone before you know it. But look what God has done with, re- with rejects, all right? He, he used us rejects to build this church. And we can't take credit. We're the rejects. He used us. He worked through us. And it brings him glory. And it also, when he uses rejects like us, it gives him an opportunity to speak truth to us and tell us who we really are, to tell us that we're his sons, that we're not, we're not rejects like the world says, that we're his sons, that we are pure, that through Christ we are pure and spotless, and that through Christ we can accomplish anything. We're not screw-ups like the world says. We're his sons. So first we've got to understand who we are, who God says we are, not who the world says we are. Secondly, we've got to understand that he is our father and we're his children. All right, we have the same inheritance as Christ. Christ is his son. He adopted us and we have the same rights as Christ, the same inheritance. He treats us as his, as his children because he adopted us into his family. He is a perfect father. He's not like an earthly father. He's not absent. He's not full of sins of omission. He's a perfect present father. He wants to protect us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to praise us. That's who God is. He's our perfect heavenly father. So we've got to realize that he's our father. And thirdly, we've got to become like little children. Jesus said, if we don't become like little children, we'll never enter the kingdom of God. We've got to take on the mind of a little child to really understand who we are. I mean, think about a child seeking praise from his dad. You know, a child's going to say something like, Daddy, did I hit the baseball good? Did I run really fast, Daddy? Did I do a good job protecting my little sister, Daddy? That's how a child is going to think. And we have to take on that mindset. We have to have the mind of a child. And when we do, we can ask God questions like, Did I serve you well, Daddy? Did I make good decisions that were in line with your will, Daddy? Did I do a good job fighting off that temptation, Daddy? Did I do a good job leading my family and leading my kids, Daddy? That's the kind of questions we should be asking God. That's the mindset we should have if we take on the mindset of a child. And God wants us to seek his praise like that. He wants us to seek that honor. And just like a perfect father, he wants to honor us. And he wants to praise us as his children. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you are indeed perfect. We thank you that you love us, God, uh, without any conditions, God, an unconditional, perfect love. We thank you that you are not absent, that you are always present in our life and you want to praise us. And you want us to seek your praise, God. God, teach us to seek your praise. Teach us what it looks like to seek honor from our Heavenly Father and to seek praise from our Heavenly Father, God. Help us to not be so distracted and so caught up in the praise of men. God, it's of no value to us to hear what the world says about us, Father. But we want to find value in who you say we are, God. I just pray that you would remind us who we are on a daily basis, that we are children of the Almighty God who longs to praise us and who longs to be a perfect Father towards us. And we ask all these in Jesus' name. Amen.